Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Hey there, for my regular listeners, I wanted to give you a heads up. This episode is one that has a little bit of language. Um, Why did I continue to do it? Because it's such an important um, topic on addiction. Um, But I just wanted to give you a warning that um, in this episode there is a little bit of language. So be aware of that because I know that's not normal in my um, podcast. So enjoy. Welcome, welcome. Today I have a great conversation coming up with Dr. Stefan Neff from New Zealand. So I'm excited to see where this takes us. We have a lot to go through from addiction story to uh, redemption to um, even a new book on depression. So I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, Corey, it is an honor for me to be here. Thank you very much. An honor and a privilege. That's very true. Yes. We look forward to our journey here. So tell us a little bit about how you got where you are today, because it's been a, a wild ride in, in your career, even just that whole. <laughs> well, I'm an anesthetist here in New Zealand, and I uh, was born in Germany in the 60s. Um, typical of my generation, I became a latchkey child and my, my come from poor background. So my single mum after a divorce uh, worked hard. I was brought up by my great grandma. Mm-hmm. So it was quite quite a bit of disruption there. And yeah. um, but yeah, I never thought or my family never thought that I bring it too much. It turns out that I was uh, I knew how to learn and uh, to apply myself, and ultimately, I actually I became I went I became very good at school, and which allowed me then to choose the university of my liking, and I ended up studying medicine, and right. I loved it, I absolutely loved it. But the the problem was along the lines. Um, it was the 80s. There was no mu- not much self-improvement, and certainly I was never exposed to anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the times of of uh, heroes that maybe are not so good for a young man. <laughs> lethal Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon, yes. Bruce Willis. So the anti the anti heroes, the guys who wake up hungover, have a beer in the morning, have a fag, uh, smoke, and then kill a few guys. Um, so it, it is it's unfortunately that kind of 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 heroes that I took on as gospel and took on as the that's how a man behaves. Yes. Um, along the lines, there were some probably quite screwed up core beliefs. Um, so I was I was a bit of a mess, <laughs> but I was intelligent, I was cocky, and I was willing. I was driven. So I think these are the the, the things that was sort of the, the baseline yeah. <laughs> unfortunately there came a lot of trauma after that and all this trauma was just bottled up because i i never learned how to deal with my emotions mm. i never learned how to be proactive 
when it comes to my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very proactive when it came to learning. Uh, there was a structure. I needed to pass that exam. Wow. I did pass that exam, so that was easy for me. But in life, I made it up as I went. And unfortunately, um, some years before that, I was the recipient of a gang assault. Wrong place, wrong time. But oh. nevertheless, uh, at age 13, I ended up no front teeth and, and pretty smashed up. Ooh. And I brought the guy, the, the gang leader behind bars. And he, he told me, when he, when I come out, I kill you. Ooh. And so I knew I had three years until I end up in a kind of Hollywood uh, <laughs> fight to death kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, well, exactly. That was my young mind uh, told me that. So I started training. I started training with the police and uh, became, again, I focused on something. I became quite good in it. So I became Rambo, basically. <laughs> um, wow. And Rambo was quite dark. Um, and so the, 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 my whole teenager years were darkness, ultimately, mm. and tension. And nowadays, I, I recognize it as PTSD. Then uh, there was no name for it. And it was just yeah, me being trying to survive. Right. And then uh, the first year in university came and three things came together. A, I realized the guy will never find me. B, I found girls. Um, <laughs> and C, I found alcohol. And I think that was the, the the thing that many people don't recognize when it comes to addiction, that alcohol initially very much serves a purpose. And initially, it's the best friend that you can imagine. Yeah. And that applies to alcohol, that applies to drugs, to gambling, to sex, whatever it is. Um, it serves a purpose, and it is the better alternative compared with the pain that you're going through. Exactly. So for me, it was, with hindsight, a PTSD. And then I I will never re uh, forget that I was uh, on a on a Saturday lunchtime. I was meeting with uh, two university friends. We were sitting in the summer in a German beer garden. Had a big big mug of uh, sort of a Stein we call it. So one liter of beer fits in there, and it's German beer, not not sort of American kind of water with some beer flavor. Um, <laughs> so some decent stuff. Um, and uh, I must have been much through the first liter. When suddenly I felt this warmth coming over me and the feeling of pure, unadulterated love. And I was laughing uh, and there was laughter around my table and the world was nice. And it was oh, that kind of beautiful dopamine rush that hit me. Unfortunately, I'm... I'm a bit of a, a superman and all alcoholics are supermen, superwomen, mm -hmm. because we have got a super response of dopamine, at least initially. Um, so we often enough, if we were to measure our brain dopamine levels, we they are much higher uh, when it comes to such a rush mm -hmm. than uh, those people who would not become uh, people who show behavior of addiction. Right. So, um, yeah, there I was. Wow. My best thing ever. And for the yeah, the next five years, alcohol was my best friend um, because it allowed me to decompress mm -hmm. after a hard day's work. It allowed me to meet girls much easier. It allowed me sexually to function in a much better way, to a degree that you can that I was able to um, to predict how long an erection will last. 
And I was often making a joke, come on, uh, how long would you like me to make love to you? <laughs> and when I then actually finished two hours later, uh, the girls couldn't believe it. And it was that kind of a thing. So there were so many little things that no one ever talks about when it right. comes to alcohol initially. Um, and it was amazing. Amazing. I loved it. The problem was... You're in control. Of course, the trouble... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're in control. But then at, at some stage, things get get a bit out of kilter. Yeah. Because firstly, these these this honeymoon period, mm -hmm. I mean, it lasted probably five, six years with me, but there was uh, ultimately the, the trauma didn't go away. Neither the trauma from my PTSD and there were more trauma was coming along. Right. And maybe when you're drinking, you're not making the, the best decisions in your life. <laughs> That's certainly yeah. fair to say for me. <laughs> so whilst it was a good friend, it also, I stuffed up quite a few things. Um, the decisions that I made and where I'm not proud of. Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing ever against the law. I've got a very high respect for the law. So I'm not a man who turns into a fighter uh, and goes against authority, but I'm a man who gets angry um, uh, easily. And that was certainly later with uh, the more grief and the more trauma there was, mm -hmm. the angrier I became uh, under the in impact of alcohol. Wow. But initially, as I said, this was not the case. So I think the big lesson that I had to learn many years later was that alcohol was not my friend, um, but I had no alternative, really. And as an alcoholic, one of the key signs and symptoms is denial. So 95% of us will swear on our heart that there's <laughs> nothing wrong with us. No, 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 no. I'm not an alcoholic. No. Joe over there, look at him. Now he is drinking. How about me? No, never. No. And then you come up with all kind of excuses and, and crap like that. Yeah. So ultimately, yes, I had genes. Uh, probably I ticked off the full house of, of genetic predisposition because there was a long line of uh, alcohol abuse uh, in my family. Now, mm -hmm. uh, again, if you go back in the generations, these guys have gone through lives you cannot even imagine. We're yeah, talking right. about wars. We're talking about a Nazi time. We talked about um, earlier the Great Depression. Um, after the war, my mother, I mean, they came up in very poor circumstances. So it was all, wow. And there's, there's, there's enough excuses that you want to drown your sorrows, that right. you want to, want to escape your reality, please. Um, we sometimes keep forgetting that too. We sort of look back in generations, ah, oh, they are bloody alcoholics. Well, <laughs> you walk a mile in their shoes. I want to see you. They're there uh, for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. So it's always the same. And I think for generations, there has been frustration bottled up. There has been chaos. And none of my forebears had learned the lessons how to deal with those emotions. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, often enough, uh, paid the ultimate price by drinking slash smoking themselves into a early grave. And I would have been on the same trajectory had it not been for the fact that I had a wife. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a wife. <laughs> Let's go now into the presence. I was talking about history, so yeah. it the hat snuck in there. No, um, I have a gorgeous wife, and this wife was an alcoholic as well. We both drank like fishes. We both are broken people. 
we both have got our trauma wow. and so she and i basically uh, uh used alcohol as a crutch but she was actually religious she is religious she and her with the help of her church she uh became sober about three years before me nice and as so often happens with someone who has been an alcoholic, she became extremely anti-alcoholic. So the pendulum swung all the way the yeah. other way. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the next three years were not the nicest years because I kept drinking. And of course, I tried to hide it. And that's the second big hallmark. We are hiders. We We are so busy as alcoholics because in the morning, we hide that we are hungover and we hide that we want a drink then we hide that we are buying the alcohol we hide the alcohol then we hide that we are drinking and ultimately you try to hide that you're drunk no honey i i have not had a, 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 a single drop um yeah um, you you can see where that leads then the next day starts again um and it is it is such a shitty life but i lived that life and more trauma came more things my my parents uh died during that time uh very slow and rotting deaths um i tried to to give them a nice end of their life by putting them in a nice house um that i paid for and we didn't have the money so my financial uh debts increased dramatically and it was oh boy and I was working more, longer, longer hours to to get the money together. It was brutal. And all that, I didn't have any any help. And that is, to a degree, self-inflicted. Because right. another thing that we alcoholics do is isolation. Right. I There might have been people who were trying to help me. Uh, if, if they were, and I've got a suspicion they were, I certainly didn't want to know about it. Right. I certainly rejected them. Um, so you increasingly drink alone. You don't want to be around people and you just want to wallow in your own misery. And that is certainly what happened to me. I became angry. I became sad and I never had learned about my emotions. So the only time that I really could cry and be upset is when I was drunk. Mm. And then there were nights, my God. Um, if, if and I often would act and your wife, uh, she was, so then those, during those three years, your wife was now sober. Yeah. How was that? Like that tension? Oh, awful, awful third world war, honestly, between us. Okay. And, uh, she was very frustrated with me, uh, no doubt. But having said that ultimately, maybe because of her being sober, she could see through my pain. Mm -hmm. And my behavior that was as as a defense mechanism against her. Um, that she more, she more patient? Was she more patient then or no? No. No. Okay. Uh, patience and my wife don't go well together, <laughs> even nowadays. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, she is, uh, patient is the wrong word, but she was desperate enough okay. to realize that A, she was still loving me. Mm -hmm. and B, that something had to change. Yeah. So behind my back one night, whilst I was in the garage, sobbing my heart out, snot and tears and everything, um, she actually called for help. She called my boss in the hospital, mm -hmm. head of the department, who came around 10 o'clock at night and saw me in all my glory. 
um, and behind my back, they made the decision to organize an admission to a rehabilitation hospital in Auckland. Yeah. And so about two and a half hours from here. And um, when I woke up in um, in my hangover the next day, I was lying in bed. The door came, opened up, and in came my two teenage children mm -hmm. and my wife. And they all lay next to me and showed me love. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what this was all about. Mm -hmm. And they told me, hey, Dad, we love you. And we have uh, organized an admission to a rehab hospital Friday morning. So was, I think that was Wednesday morning. Friday morning, we drive you up to Auckland and you're going to stay there for a month. Wow. And they said it with love. Yeah. They said it with uh, a conviction where I, even in, in this haze of pain, and hangover and anxiety and guilt and shame and all these negative emotions, I realized that they had taken the choice away from me in a good way. I don't, it didn't have to make a decision. They had made the decision for me and I recognized that it was made out of pure love and I submitted there and then. Do you and recommend that? that? Was, Is that a, what? do you recommend that? Like that is a very powerful approach. That yes, they yes, 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 yes. If with hindsight, yes, it worked for me 100%. And it worked. The reason it worked is that um, what then came was mm -hmm. one of the top notch rehabilitation uh, programs I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And I've written in, in my book, my steps to sobriety. My steps to sobriety. I have written about the the ideal uh, rehab hospital, and indeed that hospital uh, ticked all the boxes. I nice. have to say that was nice. um, a everyone there uh, was an addict at one stage in their life, uh, bar one or two doctors. All the rest, from from the the, the nurses to the the mentors to the yoga instructor to whoever was there so they, they knew were the all game in my place exactly yeah. game, and you yeah. can't bullshit a bullshitter yep and that was the one thing that i very early on re uh, learned from there and once i saw that they all had their shit together that was that was an a big dramatic insight because i would have never believed in a million years that i might one day get my lose my pain or actually be able to deal with it in a, in a much better way. Um, uh, maybe even work through it and become a different man. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was broken and I knew it deep inside. I was, a, I was a mess. Uh, and that had to do with the alcohol, but I think the alcohol was more the symptom was more a, a flow on effect of the trauma that was bottled up throughout my lifetime and that I had never dealt with. It was the result, my, my drinking was the result of core beliefs that were laid down and at a very early age where I have to say, oh boy, they were screwed up. Mm -hmm. But it, that was what it was. It was, I was delivered this shit sandwich um, by, uh, well, in your case, you would say it's God. I, I'm an agnostic, so I don't believe in a deity of sorts, but but uh, there was there was certainly, I can't say that I have the nicest of lives. Mm -hmm. How long but that ago, is life, and I'm. How long ago um, you been sober? How long sober? Eight years. Eight years. Wow. Eight years, and a little bit. Yeah. Um, so an amazing time. Mm -hmm. And if I look at myself today, 
this is such a different different life mm -hmm. today uh i mean let's start let's let's stay with sober because what i live today has nothing much to do with sobriety and you might find what what is he saying um sobriety is only that you manage to stop the demon of drinking right. or of of cocaine or mariana or whatever you you actually what what mixture of poisons you take right. prescriptions painkillers etc yeah. they're all there because they they take away the pain temporarily and that is beautiful so when you stop drinking when when someone gets sober um then what you're still focused now you're still focused on the stuff <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've got the whole the whole trauma is still there yeah. so now you've taken the crutch away great now what <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <true. laughs> so now comes the healing now comes the hard work right and i didn't realize that i thought i walk out of here i i you know after a month there is a discharge ceremony and and i walked out i i expected rose petals and and that's right <laughs> fanfaries and then you know you 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 come home and there's your family and your family has that the nose to the grindstone. Uh, you were isolated in this bubble of rehabilitation hospital whilst they were continuing in their own daily life, their own trauma, their own madness. And you come home and you expect to be lauded. <laughs> oh God, what a disappointment. <laughs> but then again, now at least I, I recognize that. Right. And uh, I I realized that there was oh so much work to be done to actually be not recognized. That's the wrong word. I had to make amends. Mm -hmm. I think that is really what it came down to. Uh, we alcoholics. There's a, there's a joke. How do you know that an alcoholic is lying? His lips move. Okay, so how how many promises did I break in the past? And now I came home and say, ah, oh, see, it will be very different. Yeah, right. My, uh, I can I can't remember if my wife rolled her eyes. That's her <laughs> normal go to, but she would have probably maybe behind my back. Right. Um, and so I had to make living amends. Mm -hmm. I actually had to walk the walk, not talk the talk. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did. Nice. That's exactly what I did. Because initially I was, I felt powerless again. Now they are not recognizing me. They're not respecting me after all that what I've done. Yeah. And then I realized, however, due to the work that I had done it uh, with the, the counselors and the mementos, that that was really a screwed up thinking. Yeah. So I started washing up. You got to and work. I was still, that's right. I got to work at home. I was not allowed to go back to work for another two, three months because the medical council in New Zealand made sure that I was actually safe, that there was a follow-up treatment plan very well in place. I was monitored uh, with regards to alcohol consumption. So there was a whole safety net put in place, um, which was very uh, scary, I guess, humbling uh, for me as yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. But it was equally, it, it helped me accountable and helped me through those initial months and yes. actually two years or two and a half years, something like that. Uh, and it was, it was an amazing time. So I started small and did what I had to do. And that culminated maybe two, three weeks down the line. I had my first row with my wife. Mm -hmm. And as always, we were still the broken people. 
let's right. put it like that. We were still the broken people. We still had the triggers that we knew instinctively how to press. Yeah. And so very quickly, we were again on the top of our game in the kitchen. And we were literally standing opposite each other in the kitchen, screaming at each other. When I had this out of body experience and similar to what you would see in a holiday, a Hollywood film that, that my, my mental eye went out 45 degrees up, 45 degrees over um, and looked at this situation. And I must have turned quite blank because my wife recognized that and looked at me and said, what the hell? Uh, if you get a stroke or something, she didn't say that, but that was the, the, yeah. the facial expression. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long that, that lasted. Uh, but I then said, look, I just need to leave the room for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I walked out. And again, I don't know how long I stayed out. But when I came back, I can't even know, say, I can't even remember what exactly I said, but it was certainly uh, something along the lines of, look, I'm really sorry that, that I triggered you this way. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe then dealt with the issue, but my wife was blown away. Yeah. She had yeah. no idea what to do. And it, it, that was completely um, taking the wind out of her sail. Yeah. And we stopped fighting there and then. And nowadays I have to say, it's extremely difficult for my wife and me to fight. We both have made so much headway, so much, um, so many, we gained so many insights mm -hmm. in how we both tick and how vulnerable still we are, what right. our go or fallback position is, i.e. you hurt me and therefore I defend myself, all that rubbish. Yeah. Um, that is beautiful. Nice. And even nowadays, my wife is going through menopause, uh, so she can be a royal bitch, honestly. <laughs> uh, the mood swings from hell. Um, but she has got the insight, and I've got the insight. Yeah. So when Skills. when she's... Skills. Uh, absolutely. Cool. So when she's filing off her horns and polishing her hoof down there, um, then I can say, actually, darling, what can I do? Should I make you a coffee? Hmm. Can I take you in my arms? No, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Okay, I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's and, and then she 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 knows yeah. how, what she is, and within seconds she apologizes. Yeah. Um, and it is wow. what it is. That is a relationship that I cherish. Yeah. Um, uh, twenty years ago, oh my god, no. But that only shows that if you actually get sober, mm -hmm. that's the first step. And then deal with the trauma, deal with your life, and make conscious decisions every single day to become a better person. Whatever that means for you, that the past will not equal the future. And it doesn't matter how many genetic predispositions you have got, right. how long your his family history of alcoholics is, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. My children, for sure, have all the genetic predisposition to uh, be addicts. Mm -hmm. Yet they have seen me at my worst right? and they have seen me at my best. And they have learned to open up. They have learned to seek help, something I could never do as a young man. For them, they sought help. They have gone already for their trauma, mm -hmm. some of it due to their parents' drinking. Right. And they have dealt with that with the help of counselors. They have dealt with that with the help of inside. They have made their own mistakes yeah. and learned from it, but always under the light of 
um, it's okay to make a mistake, but can you learn out of it? Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. That is something that we strongly believe in here. And um, so that is... What are the steps to sobriety then? So that your book is My Steps to Sobriety. What mm-hmm. what pieces of that would you want to t- touch on that would be kind of helpful for someone who might even themselves be in denial, but mm-hmm. a lot of times <laughs> their they're spouses, like they're married to someone who's so. definitely in denial mm-hmm. is having a problem. Mm-hmm. I think if you imagine that you have a restaurant and that you your restaurant is booming it's really lovely and your best friend has got a restaurant and in his restaurant the tumbleweeds are rolling in the front and one day he gives you a ring and says look please please can you come over can we have a cup of coffee Uh, i don't know what's going on i i i i'm virtually bankrupt i need help Mm -hmm. would you not come across and would you actually try to help and what would you do as a friend you would come across you would probably go into his, his restaurant and sit down order um some nice items from the menu check out his food um look around see what is the ambiance uh, what is the you know how do you do to the staff behave etc then once you have eaten you might go behind the scenes have a look through his bookkeeping have a look through his kitchen his and basically just figure out how does the whole place work and then very soon, once you've done this inventory, you you realize, okay, there are certain things that work well, and you might want to strengthen them. And there are certain other things that really do not suit him whatsoever. That might be items on a menu that no one is ever buying and causing him a loss because he's throwing the stuff away. Um, yeah. Or it might just be that the whole theme is outdated and it needs actually... Uh, um, some lipstick or even more um on on the front actually a, a new refurbishment something like that um and that's cool and then um at some stage you basically reopen and you have to announce okay here's come on guys we have learned our lessons here so you want to make some amends you want to go to your to your uh customers and say look guys thank you for your loyalty uh we got a bit astray but now we're under a new focus and guys next time you come back drinks are on us or uh there's 30 percent off your menu um as a thank you for you being loyal to us so you're making amends to your customers and then uh, you see what works, you monitor mm-hmm. your progress, and you maybe put a quality assurance program in, uh, assure that all your staff and new staff coming on board is trained according to your values and to your to the way that you want this restaurant to be run. And then down the line, both of your restaurants are booming, mm-hmm. and your friend had such a magic right that he says, wow, you know what? Uh, I've learned so much from that. I will now give back. And I will actually, on a Tuesday morning, uh, I open my my restaurant for other restaurateurs, uh, like a like a, a, a breakfast club uh, yeah. for failing restaurateurs, where we can come together and learn together and 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 maybe steam off and just have a whinge, et cetera. And so that is that is very logical. wouldn't wouldn't that be something that probably everyone, a good friend would do? Mm-hmm. Well, that is exactly what I've described to you as a 12-step program. That is what nothing else, a 12-step program. The mm-hmm. friend initially admitted that was it was helpless, hopeless, yeah. what, what was going on. He needed help. And he admitted that there is a higher power, uh, that there is someone else out there or a group of people who maybe know how to help him. 
So that was the, the first three steps. Yep. Then the next three steps is is doing a brutal inventory and actually looking is what is going on. And that is equally that is what we do in 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 a twelve step program. You you write long lists and you write uh, <laughs> them in every detail. Uh, it is quite an amazing thing. There's, for example, my 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 anger list. Or there's a number of, of of descriptions for these lists. But my anger list, my resentment list. Oh my god, <laughs> Joe. Oh, Joe, he did that. And that's how it made me feel. So this is a typical structure of an anger list. And you just write and write and write and write and write. And then after a while, uh, you know, you, you work on other things. And then a good mentor will bring you back to the list. And then say, okay, now that we've worked a bit on you, let's go back through that list. And so Joe did that. That's how it made you feel. Now, can you remember what your input to that whole story was? Um, what was the role that you played maybe to kick off the whole scenario or maybe as in reply to that? Yeah. So nice. it starts for you to take ownership. Mm -hmm. And that's where, where it starts. That's where the healing starts because you realize that often enough you have been behaving like a dick. And like a, or and you can you can insert any kind of swear word you want here. Religious, not religious, doesn't matter. Gender <laughs> yeah. neutral, whatever it is, we <laughs> all behave sometimes in ways that we are not proud of. And the 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 steps to sobriety are essentially there to help you in a systematic fashion through that journey. Mm. And I think that is so beautiful. So that is in, in my book, I very much wanted to demystify that. This is not some 12-step uh, program has not necessarily anything to do with God. It has not necessarily anything to do with religion. It works for any religion, for any belief systems, mm -hmm. for any uh, anything whatsoever. Now, the sheer fact that typically 12 steps programs are held in church halls, et cetera, is simply because church halls are very nice. There is enough room in there um, and they're typically cheap to rent or maybe are given for free uh, as a service. Um, and therefore they're held there. Otherwise the, the AA or whoever runs the 12 step program would have to pay an arm and a leg to hire a room. Well, and so that's, what you're saying about the 12 steps and the steps to sobriety that you kind of outlined is something that, as, as I think of any one of us, all of us, how critical it is to take that assessment of ourselves and then to go through this process. The truth is, is we all need to do this. There's mm -hmm. not one person that would not benefit from going through these steps. They're not some magical steps. They're almost kind of more of a mm -hmm. common sense but they call you to it. They call you to stand accountable to your yep. actions, your thoughts, your feelings, Absolutely. your mistakes. Every mom needs to do it. Every dad needs to do it. Every, Absolutely. this is a, all of us, as you mm -hmm. said, even religion aside, it's one of those things where, where yeah. uh, we need to do this. Then mm -hmm. as you've had in the last many years with your wife and, um, others is you have a very different life, mm. not an escape from the past, but a new life. Yeah, but that trauma from the past doesn't have its tentacles reaching in and controlling what seems like every little thing of your life. You're able to exactly set free exactly, or 
at least, I mean, you can't just cut all those tentacles off. They mm. are still there. Okay. And they right. they still come out. And sometimes they are very appropriate. I mm-hmm. I love my PTSD because my PTSD also made me a very good doctor. Um, <laughs> it's very hard for you to catch me out. Okay. So wow. this hypervigilance can be positive. I have got a very much a situational awareness. It's very unlikely that I become again a victim of an assault. Right. Well, let's rephrase that. I will see the assault coming, and this time I'm not the only one in hospital. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I actually like that. Right. Okay. So what's well, turning um, pain so into was, a superpower? It's turning these bad things that's into right. a, an asset versus it all correct liability my whole life. Absolutely. And it can become a driving force for you. So many of the guests in my show have gone through tremendous trauma. And now they have made it into their drive. They've written books about their trauma. And they're going out there and just completely uh, making sure that they do their best to help others deal with their trauma or even better prevent that trauma from happening. And so this is... What's your show? It is My Steps to Sobriety. Yeah, My Steps to Sobriety. Okay. St- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I kept uh, the title simple. Uh, yeah, My uh, Steps to Sobriety gets you anywhere. Um, but I, this is this is basically a, a repeating theme in those people who moved from victimhood to right. survivor and now are thrivers. Yes. So that's the Love the that. natural sequence of of development if you do the work. Yes. If you if just you do the work, continue to if you continue to wallow in your sadness, and you're feeling really happy there, like a pick pick in mud, then unfortunately you will not progress, and that is sometimes really really hard. I mean, well, this was recently. I, sorry. So go back to when you were in your first five or so years. You said that you had met your best friend, mm. alcohol, and mm. it worked. Uh, yeah uh, exactly you can can someone break through when a person's in that stage of life and actually get them to get a clue this is a bad idea because they've got a best friend and it is working yeah or do you have and that to is very hard apart? you have to wait till the that is very That's a tricky one. Uh, that's a really tricky one. I mean, there are moves nowadays where luckily we are no longer as caught in the trap net of uh, the alcohol industry of the of us being in a situation where it's virtually socially unacceptable not to drink. Okay, so the hard drinking advertisement and sales meetings, etc. They are they were far more common in the 80s 90s 2000s so life is changing so nowadays there is more freedom of people to actually say no there are movements like uh dry uh, dry july or uh november uh there are a lot of mental health kind of things where we're as part of that people say let's not drink so that is something that where we are making breakthroughs and well, i think or, that is something that we can then use on those people um yeah. uh, who are uh, still in the middle of that and uh, even a few days without booze can already make a difference but right. if you then don't give anything in that that comes close to the alcohol. So if you just take the crutch away, 
Well, guess what happens? This guy goes straight back. Oh yeah. Okay, so you have to replace that. You have to replace that with with um, things that that are meaningful. Now, the problem with that is we are used to these dopamine rushes, and right. drugs and alcohol are very good in achieving that. They now, are. to have something else coming into that that place, wow. Uh, I I can tell you it would, for example, with my taste, it would have taken all oh, quite a few months before my taste came back in the way that it is nowadays. I remember one day I, I stopped on the roadside and someone was selling strawberries and I bought some strawberries for the family and, and took one at it. And it was the most beautiful strawberry I had eaten in my life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what the hell? What is this brand of strawberries? I, <laughs> I, I want more. Mm -hmm. And only then did I realize that actually the alcohol had tainted my brain, my taste buds, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, there was no joy. And then that was the first time several months later where I got a dopamine rush out of a normal substance, a substance that actually should give you the dopamine rush, not that artificial high that the alcoholic, uh, that the alcohol gave me in the past. Nice. So it is, it is hard to, to bring up something, but what you can bring up is, uh, is a new way of life mm -hmm. and a person who is, um, who is living with an addict. Um, I think their key thing is not to lecture or tell me uh, that's how you do it. No, you need to lead by example. You need to get your own shit together. Yeah. Uh, it is no good that you are a broken person telling the other broken person, nah, you are, you are what a waste because you're drinking right. and then you're, you're behaving holier with, than thou. with less integrity. That's right. Yeah. The, and, and in reality, you've got less integrity than, than, I don't know, a floppy yeah. jelly bean. Okay. <laughs> so no. No, 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 no. So you need to lead by example. And I think that is that is what you will see in families where addiction has really been dealt with. This is a family disease mm -hmm. and it is a disease where we all need to grow. Right. And I think that is the thing. So you, if you are the loved one or if you're listening to this because you're concerned about a loved one, then you need to be quite clear that there is a huge journey ahead for yourself. Right. A journey of discovery, a journey of enlightenment, mm -hmm. a journey of sadness, because you have to deal with the own tra trauma in your life. Things that you have buried, yeah. but which actually caused you to have core beliefs that are less than productive. Right. And maybe your own core beliefs, screwed up as they are, are now impacting the way you see this addict. Yeah. Uh, maybe, just maybe, um, it's getting too close to home because you have been a closet alcoholic. You have been uh, a very depressed person, but don't want to know that it is true. And suddenly you recognize yourself in the person who, as it so happens, uses alcohol as a crutch. And maybe that is what is triggering you. Why are there these emotions? Is it really because you love this person or because it reminds you of the tr those traits in you that you hate? Right. So there are so uh, one way or the other, it's a huge learning curve for a family, and we have to say that we we all don't live in isolation. Mm -hmm. Someone did some clever studies, and if you look at actually at the fate of one person, how that impacts people around him, I think the figure was twenty nine. So the fate of one person affects twenty nine other people. Mm 
But even if you if you say that's rubbish, that's rubbish. There's so many isolated people. Forget it. Uh, even if you say that each and every person has at least got one significant other. And if we now say that, okay, chemical addiction affects one third, even if you're if you're less, if you're more conservative, one fourth mm -hmm. of the adult population in the Western world, 25%, that means that half of the Western world is yep. affected by addiction. Yep. So once you have that, and you guys, you heard right, I say half of the world is affected by addiction. Now, suddenly, you must admit yourself that actually this is not a lonesome disease. This is actually something that that is not affecting a single person. That is infected. He, uh, affect, that affects, not infects, sorry, that's COVID. And that affects uh, a huge amount of people out there. So maybe we should talk about it. Maybe we should make it a more common thing to address. Well, like maybe we should the isolation. They isolate themselves, yeah. but it doesn't mean they are isolated. So I'm pulling away exactly to be with my best friend, my my drug of a of choice, but I have yeah. not moved to the woods in the middle of nowhere. I'm still in relationship with people. Exactly. And so it's it's affecting a lot of people and probably yeah. way more closer to that number twenty-nine than just mm -hmm. one. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree. And you don't realize it until you actually stop and and go mm -hmm. on to this journey of discovery uh, that is called initially sobriety. And then it is called living your life to the fullest. And well, sobriety. So, uh, mm -hmm. Tell me about your, so you have a new book that it just came out that you mm. put together with some incredible stories and it's called Depression Lied to Me. <laughs> Tell me about that. Depression Indeed, lied to me. Yes. Depression lied to me. Um, it's a beautiful multi-author book. Mm -hmm. I brought together storytellers, in this case, female storytellers, um, who have gone through depression. And once you go through a mental health problem and you start open up about it and you talk about it, you realize that there's so many lies that the disease tells you. That is true for depression. That is true for any mental health problem for addiction, um, so many things. And the I have had the honor of working together with 14 uh, women who wrote their story down. Nice. They come from all walks of lives, from all, uh, all kind of, some of them are religious, some not. Um, some of them are very spiritual, some not. So uh, different cultures. So it was beautiful. Nice. And to hear their stories, the way they perceived the darkness, and then the solutions and their path to the light. Um, that was beautiful to actually bring that all together and and raise awareness of the all the lies that these diseases tell you. Wow. And uh, maybe one of these stories will hit home to your readers, to your viewers, listeners. And because it is, uh, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And that's exactly what my mission is. Nice. I want to impact a million lives in the next five years nice. through my channels, through my books, through my projects, because I believe that we, by opening up, by, by being transparent in our weaknesses, in our own suffering, mm -hmm. in our triumphs, 
uh, we can show that the past does not equal the future. It doesn't matter if you have been near suicidal due to depression or if you have been in the gutter, hopefully metaphorically rather than virtually, right. um, um, the, with, with addiction. Um, even if you have been, even if you had to sell your body in order to make the money for your for your pee or for your uh, for your drugs, the past does not equal the future. Mm -hmm. You have been in the darkness. It's now time to embrace the light and in turn to become the light. Yeah. And that is the key message. That is why you, Corey, and I sit here mm -hmm. while we are talk with conviction that because we we have seen that transformation so many times we know it is possible not just possible likely mm -hmm. if you put the right steps in place exactly. and these right steps might be different for for in whatever situation you are so the starting point will most likely be different for each and every one of us but the, a systematic approach will be necessary to help you. And as far as addiction is concerned, the 12 step program is a fantastic um, approach, but similar programs are equally in place when it comes to more behavioral problems, such as eating disorders, um, such as uh, gambling, such as sex addiction. There are so many uh, problems out there that need to be tackled first. Um, so we, we are destroying the crutches, but parallel, we're building up, um, we're building up those broken men and women, um, and, and are instilling a new sense of self-worth, um, something maybe that has never been there before, mm -hmm. but that is where you build up integrity, humility, authenticity, mm -hmm. those kind of, of words that in many lives are just, just cliches. Yeah. Whilst most of us in sobriety, we are walking the walk. And by that, we're leading by example. And by doing so, we become the light and the darkness of someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is the beautiful thing. That is what makes me proud. Yeah. That is, I, I'm not proud of many, well, I'm proud of some things in my life, <laughs> um, but there are many things that I rather would like to forget. Right. Um, and on my deathbed now, I will not look back in sorrow. Yes. On my deathbed now, I will say, okay, at least the last eight years, I've kicked ass. I have gone out there and I shared my story. Mm -hmm. And by that, hopefully, I've planted the seeds that other people can can reap the, the harvest mm -hmm. from and become in their own right the sower of new seeds. Mm -hmm. That is That is the legacy I want to live. That is what I want to have on my gravestone. And... Yeah um yeah then then i'm a i'm a happy man and i'm already now happy because i get to talk to people like you mm -hmm. who are on the same mission we both are on a mission to make this world a better place and this world bloody well needs it right now so therefore let's go out there let's work together in teams let's infuse each other by being transparent and and share our stories for those of you please one thing i want to say about shame and guilt mm -hmm. As one of the things I, I often that held me back is how could I possibly admit to it? I'm a doctor. My goodness. Doctors can't be sick. Doctors can't be <laughs> drunk. Oh my God. No way. No way. Nowadays, I, when I hold a clinic um, and uh, the door opens and I look at this guy and I, I, I can, I can see it from a mile, man, <laughs> you're in trouble. Okay. So 
I have actually a little business card with my show and my steps to sobriety on there. Uh, sometimes people pick that up and, and ask me or I guide the discussion towards it when I think it needs to yep. be addressed. <laughs> and um, it is beautiful. So my own GP, my own family physician asked me, well, you've written this book. Are you not worried about your career, what other people think, what your patients think? Uh, let me be very honest. In those eight years, no one has ever said anything but admiration for what I'm doing. So good. Okay. My patients, my colleagues. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in fact, when I wrote the book and I released it, the very first edition, I was over Christmas holidays. So I came back on, in the first week after holidays to the hospital and in the changing room got changed. Uh, not a doctor was next to me. I said, oh, what did you do? Oh, what did you get up to? And I said, oh, I'll write a book. He said, oh, cool. What about? And I said, about uh, me being an alcoholic and uh, my story and um, he looked at he stopped his track, looked at me and said, What did you do that for? And I thought, Whoa, that's a strange response. And I just just you know, it, it was something I had to do. Yeah. He walked away. And six hours later I got a text on the phone. <laughs> Stefan, can I talk to you? <laughs> and it was exactly that man, a man that I hold in very high esteem, a man who has been so successful, not just as a doctor, but as a businessman, for crying uh -huh. out, the guy flies a helicopter um, that is that he has paid off. Okay, so <laughs> uh, he is good. Um, yet, he had just lost his wife due to his drinking and those kind of things. So here you go. But it was, it, and it just shows you, this is a, a disease that is, uh, uh, alcohol is the perfect solvent, I always say. It dissolves bank accounts. It dissolves marriages. It dissolves <laughs> yes, careers. Yeah. It's the perfect solvent. Okay, so it does that, and it is. It does take no prisoners. It, it doesn't care the skin color. It doesn't care uh, if you're rich or poor. It does the same thing to everyone. Yeah. So we therefore, think, we believe that there's. If I get found out, it's going to ruin my career. And the irony is, it will ruin your career. Nope. That's right. On same the contrary, it will make. It will make you a better person. It will. Because people will look up with admiration to you. Um, and those people who look down on you, you know exactly you have got a problem. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. and guys, you can't you can't get everyone on your side, okay? Yeah. Remember, one in ten people have got a personality disorders. Uh, so they are the jerks in life. Okay. Yeah. You can't do anything about that. One in ten. One in hundred is a psychopath or a sociopath. Okay, these are the really stuffed yeah. up people. You can't do anything about that. So therefore, if you just take these two uh, percentages, mm -hmm. you know, okay, you, whatever changes you make, right? there will be people who hate you for it because right. they recognize, wow, you're making far better progress than they will ever do. Um, and they can't do it and therefore they hate you. So let's be quite clear about that. Right. Um, but guys, go out there. Go out there. Uh, if you if you are held back by shame, mm -hmm. then please let me reassure you. No, you will find new friends, mm -hmm. friends that actually mean something, not just just drinking buddies. You will find hope out there, and okay. your life will change forever, into a way that you probably can't even fathom, can't yeah, even get an idea. Yeah, yep. it's around the corner. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I know as a as a professor and counselor and um, stuff, that's I've 
consistently spoke of depression. Like it can, it has always held a, had a hold on me and had a relationship with that. And the way that we talk today about mental health is so much better than in the years past mm. for sure. But we still right. have a long ways to go of oh, demystifying. Yeah. To me, I actually tell my students, I was like, you all, every one of you have a mental health. So mm. stop acting like they have a mental health problem <laughs> and you're fine. <laughs> every one of you have Very true. a mental health. How are you stewarding that? The people you put around, the uh, stuff you watch, the things you listen to, the exactly. things you ruminate on. And some, it's extremely diagnosable. And I would say really for all, we could probably diagnose everyone, but how are you actually overcoming? Um, mm. And so alcohol is even just more overt, if you will, because you have to go buy it and then bring it in your home. Mm. And um, yeah. So. But equally, therefore, it's it's easier recognizable. Therefore, that is actually an advantage. There yes. is a big hallmark there yes. that actually says, hey, here's someone who needs uh, needs needs help. So to account. a certain degree, this is easier to deal with than maybe a, um, a constant droning depression there where people sort of keep that mask up in a much easier way, uh, at least during work, and then fall apart at home. Right. Um, so... You know, if you're completely drunk and falling around, well, that's a bit more obvious than the silent depressions that many women, uh, more so than men, but also the boys go through. Right. Okay. Right. So, no, this is so, this, these discussions are so worth their weight in gold. Let's mm -hmm. go out there. Let's make this world a better place. Corey, I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing uh, by you having this platform to allow us to exchange those ideas in public. Right and show them i mean show the world if cory and i can get our shit together come on there is a fair <laughs> chance <laughs> there's a fair chance that you guys can do that too yeah yeah and so your website is mystepstosobriety.com definitely check Correct. out the books my steps to sobriety mm -hmm. and then also the the new one depression lied to me which is mm. a lot of stories of women that have been <laughs> That's there right. on, in your podcast. Exactly. On the on the website, you also find yeah. my children's book. Oh, it's quite quite glorious. I'm sorry. Esme the Mindful Mouse, nice. who is a little mouse who lives in our beautiful redwood forest and has got uh is she's very vivacious and lives her life to the fullest. But in doing so, she often enough uh angers her friends <sighs> and she has to learn that there are certain things, certain bad things that she has done, but that she is not a bad mouse. The difference between between your behavior and being a bad person is a huge, huge difference. Um, so things like that. So I, I, I do a lot of things and I try to, to start conversations with the help of pictures, with the help of books, with the help of my podcast, my show, um, with the help of me leading by example. And this this is just a beautiful journey. So if you want to know anything more about that, go to my Steps to Sobriety. You will find uh, my, my, my a lot of things there uh, as a starting point. Uh, I've got a Patreon page um, where this year I will actually go back to school and I will actually become your guinea pig. Because we say, well, there are so many things where we can improve ourselves. And often enough, these are platitudes. 
I actually will go out there and do that. So right now, uh, well, uh, just at Christmas, I've been weighing myself. It was 144.5 kilogram. So about 300 pounds of quality manhood. <laughs> yeah, not so much, not so much. Uh, so I actually came to the conclusion, hang on, I have conquered or at least dealt with addiction. I probably have come a bit with cross addiction in the sense that I've been using food okay. now to deal with stress, to deal with, uh, I basically had some emotional overeating. Right. So right now I've said, okay, come on guys. I show you not just my talk in the past, see in the past I got sober. No, I show you right now, I okay. can get my shit together again. So um, I will, um, I will drop my weight this year uh, to 99.9 kilogram. So I will drop a third of my body weight. I'm on the wrong side of 50s or on the right side of 50s, however you look at it. I'm 56. I live a stressful, sedentary lifestyle. Um, I can't do anything about that. I can't just stop working, have a private chef on an island. <laughs> I would drop weight in no time. No, but how do you actually do that? And I go back to to school. I will do functional medicine diploma, and I will share that all with my nice. my patrons. Nice. And I will go out there and I will show you. This is how we do it. Love These that. are my 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 wins. These are my my failures. My not so good days. But again, I want to demonstrate nice. that the past does not equal the future. That we can all do it together. So you know, guys, you can do it. Nice. You can do it. This is the start of your life right now. <laughs> yep. It is. Great, great. <laughs> well, they, Dr. Stefan Neff, thank you so much for coming on. Great conversation. Look forward to seeing how this year shapes out for you. Literally shapes out for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I can't wait. And I'm, I'm on this journey already. It is uh, 10 days into the new year right. and I feel good. <laughs> Gory, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. It was a true honor. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Lives Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.